folks, welcome to a very special edition of the Corner Store, the Bodega Edition, because we're in New York. Um, I am glad to be here. We're uh, recording live in a sun-drenched Williamsburg studio, which sounds like gentrification, and I'm pretty sure that it is, um, but it is a lovely place that we have to record uh, these episodes while we're on the road in New York for book tour. Um, we also called upon some of our dear homies and people we admire and love, and in the corner store uh, today we have an author, a singer-songwriter, someone who is one of the best just human beings on the planet, the author of uh, the just recent uh, pub date, Odes to Lithium, and also the uh, children's book, Behold, a friendship book, uh, and, and the, the, the singer-songwriter of, of many different uh, albums and EPs, Shira Ehrlichman is in the corner store. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for making the walk. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, we got you some snacks in the corner store because we like to... Uh, we In the bodega. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, Please. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. My apologies. <laughs> Jeez. How dare I? <laughs> we just, that's, that is also like what... We, oh, no, no, no. These are just called... Uh, I'm going to call these people whatever I want to call right, them. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm here. Yeah, I don't mean to <laughs> colonize your uh, local grocer. Sure. Um, but we got you some ice cream tea, mm-hmm. uh, some seaweed snacks. Yeah. And some sweet potatoes with uh, sweet potato chips with sea salt. Yes, thank you so much. No, because I know you eating uh, for you is <clears throat> a good endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're allergic to yeah. many things. Allergic, intolerant, which I love the word intolerant yeah. because it sounds like vastly political and like strange. <laughs> like she's intolerant of strawberries. Just <laughs> yeah, of strawberries, of berries. Like that as a sweeping umbrella feels really inaccurate to me. Like even if I'm in the same room as them, I'm like I'm intolerant. You know, some people like if you bite an apple across from me, I truly will have an allergic reaction. Right. And a- allergic that makes sense. But to be intolerant, I wish that you could also have the same like no, I can't be in a room. I'm intolerant. Right. Of you berries. Should, yeah. You should start. I'll start that wave. Yeah. Right here in Williamsburg. It will catch on to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. You 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 had uh, this is a big moment for you mm. because your really beautiful, really important, just gorgeous book uh, is now out in the world as of a few like a, a week, week, I yeah. want to say. Yeah, yeah. the we 17th. Shared, we shared a pub date. No, yeah, did yeah, we yeah, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm I think, What? I think How did we not? I didn't know that ahead of time. No, either did I. Well, they, uh, they, moved, they moved mine up. And, oh, okay. Um, so we, they were we, like, where's Shira's? They're, yeah. They're, they're like, let's yeah, find another Jew. all the Jews yes, on the same day. On the day. same day. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, a final solution. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. No, you're doing great. Um, thank you. Is this I your first time that. on, yeah. on no, no, no. the radio? This, yes. Is this on? It's not. Uh, <laughs> this is pretend. <laughs> I've set this up. <laughs> I, I feel like we've done this before. I know, strangely. <laughs> um, but no, but yeah, it, okay, right. It's been a big book, week, yeah. And it is a, it's a big, it's a big book for you. Um, how does it feel just to have it out in the world? Um, it feels so amazing, and I think there's, you have like eleven D books, so you know that there's a stretch before everyone has the book that some people have galleys, and you have the books physically, and that was actually more surreal to feel like it was still kind of a secret in some way. Um, And it's just years in production and in creation and and kind of being done with it, but having it just be like on the conveyor belt towards release. And so when it actually did drop, it felt almost like the swoosh. You know, it's not like rigging your hands up to 
what did you say? Shoot the basketball? I play soccer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shoot a basketball. <laughs> it's the moment of like swoosh. And that is like relief and excitement. And I don't know if you know this, but on the morning of my release, the New York Times ran. No, I saw that. Yeah. yeah and incredible. that was such a surprise yeah. and so amazing to be constellated with other writers, poets, writing about mental illness in multiple like realms of life like it's not just like this it's basically the attempt of the work to be like hey we're multifaceted we have various experiences you can't pigeonhole us and there on like the morning of the release like I got a text from a friend the writer Marie Helen Bertino she's amazing shouts um and she was like Shira New York Times what 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 and I didn't know what that meant and then to I read all the you know profiles on everyone and that was something where I've been talking to Angel about how like having a book feels so it's like everything else is extra in a way like to actually make the book object and have it like be a physical thing that you can point to and have someone hold is so amazing that then like the New York Times or something like that is I can't lie like that's like fucking phenomenal and it also feels like extra or like overtime or something where you're like oh my god we just get this this too you know so well you've been this is a project that's been in the making yeah and, and you I, saw it at the beginning yeah yeah and, and i think the thing about your work that one of the things about your work that i really love is that you also can't pigeonhole your work mm-hmm. you know that you have you know you you have mastered a lot of different ways to approach a subject mm. and just mad different styles mm. in 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 getting at what it is to be you and and mm. to um you know to embody your body there was, um, in, uh, I think it was Amelia Phillips who wrote the New York Times reviews, and something she said has stuck with me where she said, each poem it feels like um, very different from the next, which is kind of what you're describing, but you're also describing it across different genres or books. But even within Odes to Lithium, like, you know, the ode is this old form, but I'm upsetting it and subverting it and shaking it up and dismissing it and, you know, doing whatever I can to get my message across um, through this malleable, a more malleable form of an ode. But something she said was that it mirrors neurofluctuations, which only someone who has great care and understanding of, like, truly what is mental illness, what is the mind even? Like, someone who doesn't experience bipolar can still experience mood fluctuations, neurofluctuations. And I... Araceli Skirmai, who also had read my manuscript before eventually blurbing it and just being a support to me, um, she said all the poems felt like various bodies. And I don't think she was trying to be smart or interesting. I think she really just was like, it's hard to find one body. There are all these various bodies. And she called them, uh, in Toni Morrison's language, various imaginative strategies. And I think that that was the first time I heard someone say kind of what you're pointing to, which is it's in my instinct to want various imaginative strategies, to to feel like one isn't enough. And maybe that comes from a queer identity. Maybe that comes from a mentally ill identity where I just feel like, no, 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 you're not going to get it. (laughs) So I'm going to create 15 doors instead of one door. Whether you do that well or not is a whole other thing, but, you know, that's the impulse. Well, no, you, I mean, you actually ex- remain executing really beautifully, but, but, all, but you come from so many different places artistically as well. That's so I, true. I, I wonder if that, because you, you know, have, you know, you write fiction and mm-hmm. you write songs mm-hmm. and you write for many different kinds of audiences. So I guess in this, you know, one book that has, you know, a front and a back cover and page, mm-hmm. you know, what are, 
who who do you, who did you imagine? Who do you hope this this audience to be? Well, I've said that um, part of my journey of writing it was to create a text I didn't have. So when I was 22 and I got sick for the very first time and it kind of blew my life to pieces, um, I exited a mental hospital reckoning with, was I really just there? Like it didn't fully sink in and I was in there for about two weeks. And when I left, there's this trying to piece together or like collage the self. Like the person I was no longer really existed. Um, I wasn't just like a very good student or this like star soccer player or somebody who had it all together, very capable, always offering advice to other people. I was suddenly like really ashamed and really stigmatized. And I remember my mom handing me Kay Redfield Jameson's uh, An Unquiet Mind. And I was like, no, I can't read that. Like it just felt really heavy. Um, and at the time, the internet was really just like, for me, MySpace and like LiveJournal. And there wasn't the conversations that, are, that exist now that are mm. like self-care, like those words were not available. Um, even the idea of like mental wellness or like taking care of your <laughs> mental health, like wearing um, those like ooey gooey masks to like relax or whatever. Like it didn't, that wasn't something people talked about or yeah, did. Self-care was self-care. not a... It, movement no No, and it wasn't you'd be like huh like what do you mean self-care that sounds ludicrous um or just like a little silly and so for me myspace live journal what i retreated into was making music on my own and then also eventually finding a community in jamaica plain boston area where every friday night i was at these hootenannies from, I believe it was 9 till 4 a.m. They were just spontaneous, no, no order, just people in the room would just rise and sing their song or read their poem or whatever. And I had that community every Friday, and it had... And where was this? This was in Jamaica Plain. Yeah. It's called the White House, Family yeah. Record. I believe they're still around. Wow. Um, but this was when it was kind of formulating. And it became a space, a physical container for me to just like make art and make music specifically, although I was writing too. Um, And so I guess all of this is to answer that I needed something that addressed mental illness, but that also offered a type of lightness. And I'm struggling still to find out what I mean by that. And I think that's why I drew pictures for the book is because I wanted these breaths, um, especially for mentally ill folks who I really do imagine like leaving a hospital they they enter my my book and and just like me there was a synaptic pause like I can't take much you know I've been I have new drugs in me I have a life that's in shambles I'm uh, on pause really and so to create something that's like light to the eye or to the touch that's why I wanted the cover to be kind of like yummy and bright and not assailing is because I want people to feel welcomed in and I specifically mean folks that struggle with mental illness to be welcomed in and so the the simple answer is just for Shira age 22 this is the book I wish that you would have had Um, and I, I do feel that time doesn't really exist in some ways and so I do feel like I'm giving it to her like it doesn't feel like an exercise a mental exercise like I'm here I get to read it you know and I get to promise even my future self like my future self is sort of promising me she'll be there for me because my now self is taking care of my past self does that make sense yeah i mean and those are maybe the multiple bodies yes that our is also maybe yes, referencing too. yes yes so 
there's that but then the more maybe like even the simpler simpler answer would be anyone who wants to dive into the perspective of someone who is mentally ill who is stigmatized in concentric circles of stigma from the very very tight personal stigma that one feels about themselves to their family and friends to the medical community to culture at large like that could be I've had like social workers use the book already and psychiatrists um and folks who have family members who have, you know, bipolar or other things that, you know, not necessarily bipolar, but other mental illness. Um, so the book is for them. And then I, I really feel like that I must say, too, that um, even though I'm so happy when things are framed towards, like, this is a mentally ill poetics, it has a queer poetics, um, there is a part of me that's like, everyone has a mind. And what I found out at 22, everyone is going to find out at some point that it is so much more fragile. It is way mysterious, unpredictable, um, resilient, and capable of things <laughs> that you can't imagine. So, so like, you know, the book is also an exploration of just what is it like to have a rupture in the mind and a return in the mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the audience is not pigeonholed either. Yeah, right. This exactly. is really a that's book great. for everybody. Yeah, that's great. Um, that moment when you were twenty-two, that, that, who were you prior prior to that? Uh, if you can give us a, kind of a snapshot of yeah, because I imagine that moment is um, obviously life-altering. Yeah, and gets you to this moment. Yeah. So who 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 are you prior? Well, thank you for asking that. Yeah, it's weird to honor her because it really is a before and after, and the after has mattered so much. Um, so I was 22. I was in my final year at Hampshire College, and I was going to do my thesis. Um, and I was queer. I was newly out of a relationship, but had been queer for since I was 16. Very, like, strong in that identity. I didn't... It wasn't, like, a problem. Um, you, and I, you were... Out, out, way yeah, out. People, had been out since like sophomore year of yeah. high school, junior year of high school. Everyone knew the deal. Everyone knew the deal. Yeah, they might not now. I'm, I'm out. Um, there now you know. Uh, and I was like, you know, I was like a captain. Of my varsity soccer team. I made varsity as a freshman. Like these are just facts. And yeah, I mean, you know, nice I just gotta, listen. Just gotta, <laughs> gotta listen. Some might say that's what we're really promoting today. <laughs> um, but you know, with that is like a rigorous athleticism. And I was so team-oriented, willpower-oriented. Like, you just got to, like, get through things, which really translates to a lot of the practices of most people who have mental illness is at first they're like, I'm just going to effing power through this, which is, like, an athletic, inflexible mindset, and I understand it, but it's, like, it's just a mindset. It doesn't mean it can work, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. just one way yeah. of looking at it. So I really believed, like... If you do 50 push-ups, you'll have, get a result, and that will be that your arms will be strong and you'll be tired. Um, and, and that would later cause issues with when I was getting sick. But at the moment, like if we're just looking at her, you know, like really passionate student, um, I often reflect on like some of the ways that my worldview is very naive. Like I didn't really interrogate whiteness from... I interrogated whiteness almost like I was moved by Audre Lorde. I was moved in really intensely by Gloria and Zildua. But, and they like changed my life. They changed my thinking as a college student. But I hadn't yet... I've only recently started to really think about how whiteness was a part of the spell of not getting help 
and of some of the ideology, so just some of the strange ideology I had around spirituality. Because it, when I got sick, I was always a very spiritual, I guess that's a weird word, but like I was interested in the mind. I loved Rumi. I was like obsessed with Rumi, who borders on manic a lot of his writings, you know, like some might say and have kind of pondered whether he <laughs> experienced states that are similar. Right. Um, and I was like obsessed with Rumi. I thought he was onto a lot. Um, and I wanted to like live my best life. I know now that's like a catchphrase, but I really believed in like growth and self-improvement and just that. And so I think um, as there's a way that I think whiteness and also a misunderstanding of some spiritual endeavors or texts, because I was really, I was meditating all the time, which is still a part of my life. Um, but there wasn't, the framework of kind of understanding myself as a white suburban teen queer um you know from like a well-to-do family not well-to-do that sounds way different but like a you know what is it like a middle Middle class class, upper middle class um family i didn't have all those things in my understanding and i i don't blame that person but i do think it would have been useful and i can see it now and see the ways even uh, the advice people give me when they're trying to kind of like shake me out of bipolar with their you should drink more tea or whatever it is how it has a fundamentally um i don't know i'm still working it through but it has a a, a misunderstanding that's fundamental about what even a self is. Right. And I was beginning to catch whiffs of that from non-Western perspectives and feeling it in my life open up. Like, oh, what does it mean? There might be no self. But then as I'm getting sick, it starts to get morphed into um, something that is consumptive or not really digested. Do, right. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and also you don't have necessarily the teachers around exactly. you that could guide you. Exactly. Whereas, you know, folks who are in some sort of monastic or ascetic yes, exactly. tradition are get, gaining that kind of mentorship or, yeah. you know, they, they, they're learning. It's a received tradition as opposed exactly. to a distanced and read tradition. And exactly. And in our culture, there's also this um, linking appropriately so between creativity and mental illness. And it is appropriate. So many great artists have suffered from mental illness and have had that be a primary force, whether negative or positive, in their output. Um, and so I think, like, you know, my mom, when my dad kind of got hints, like, something's not quite right with Shira, my mom's response, you know, bless her and I love her and she's my biggest ally, but at the, at the moment was, you know, a sense of denial that works into that cultural idea of, oh, she's creative. Like, we can't really, we don't know she's creative yeah. when I'm talking about, like, ghosts or things that I'm, there's not, like, the framework to hold that like with, with an educated sense like kind of what you're talking about with like a mentor being like okay I know all the maps of how these mind states happen or the cultural understanding around this I'm kind of getting like no, no, a little I, heady but I, no, yeah I, no I think you're in it I mean it's is there is there precedent in your family for uh, diagnosed mental illness yeah so my mom's mom um, who there's a poem called Beatrice in the book and it's next to a picture of her watering the flowers um, she had undiagnosed bipolar she was hospitalized many times in utter silence like no conversation with the kids um, and lived really in a spell of depression like it was difficult to shake out of and actually we were very close until she passed like 
I think up until I was five. We were like inseparable. Um, and then I think there's a lot of undiagnosed um, or less as like the, actually the hospital said about me was that I was having all these fireworks type of um, symptoms that some lesser symptoms weren't coming across and they couldn't pop uh, properly diagnose me in the beginning and so I think sometimes people exhibit fireworks where they're walking in the middle of the street and talking to themselves and that will get attention but other people will implode and be quiet and actually be very functional and I think there have been some people you know in my history or in my you know ancestry where we have wondered you know right yeah 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 and sometimes people are just I mean especially prior to now people have been characterized as colorful or odd or Mm -hmm. you know um so you are a highly functioning highly productive and prolific artist Mm. now so post 22 um it's it's a long path towards uh towards where you're at now Mm -hmm. and not an easy one um how do you i mean because i mean now you are are you still kind of constantly, is it, is it a continual negotiation with your meds mm-hmm. or are you kind of on the right path and you're just, you're good now? Or is it kind <laughs> of like a, like a every day or every month kind of check in where you're like, is this shit working? Right. And you're speaking like primarily about health. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, I think, you know, from that time that I was sick in, uh, when I was 22, Every about three years, I would have a relapse. And I use the word, I like the word relapse. There's so many words. There's like psychotic break, some people say, or a break from reality. And I like relapse. I like the language, actually, of addiction. I have friends who are addicts who talk about things in terms of, I relapsed, or, you know, what is, what is, the, what is the phraseology? Like, yeah, yeah relapse. it's relapse, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that because it doesn't, it looks at it as a longer road and as something that is going to present um, it's going to present itself and essentially what happened was so every there were times where I had gone off medication and it was like immediate I just was sick and that was a few times but there I the psychic pull to not be sick was so strong on me that I would get well and then I would think I can just mess us a little bit yeah Yeah, I could just go down on meds and I would just go down on meds by myself and you know sometimes talk to my psychiatrist she'd say sure let's go down you seem functional you know the conversation is not as um cautious I think or as as much like an addict where it's like you're an addict for your life so (laughs) you know I have a friend who talks about it he's like I am an addict like I every day I am aware of that and I every day I'm choosing not to drink and so For me, it feels very similar of every day I'm, I have to really be honest with myself and what am I choosing? And I've chosen to take my medication. That wasn't always the case. And I had to hit a rock bottom. I think it's been six years since my last break, which is the longest that it's ever been. And that was because, I mean, it was potentially even worse than when I was 22 because it was like... I had had other breaks, but this one was like, how can it be worse than the first time? Have I learned nothing? Is my body just equipped to break, you know? And when I reached that, I remember I read in a book, because I was like, I need, to, I need to get a handle on this, or I very well could die. Like, I could walk into traffic. I could make a decision of an unsound mind. Um, 
And I was just, I, I remember reading in a book that the more bipolar episodes one has, the more you're likely to have. And so if I have had four, and at that point I had, I was just like, oh, I, I can't, I need to not have that be true. But in order to have it not be true, I need to look at it like it's absolutely possible. Whereas before there was kind of a delusion of, it's not, you know, it wasn't really, really real to me, even however many years later, 13 years later, 10 years later at that point. Um, so I think a lot of it is just factual. It's just being like, what, you know, not to be defined by statistics, but to say, what does it look like for any other person with this? What am I still holding on to? And for me, it was just very obvious that I had the delusion that I could will myself, that I could eat better, you know, power exercise, through. power yeah. through. Which is that athletic mindset. Which state. is that athletic mindset. Yeah. yeah. And that um, it's of our culture, you know, like it's aggressive and it's so much more complicated. But for me, ultimately, relaxing to think to accept it to just be like oh this is what it is <laughs> and to look at the facts of it to say like bipolar manifests in certain ways i'm not like a special case you know and that's where the spirituality takes you i'm a special case i'm mm. really this isn't just mania this is <laughs> spiritual bliss which it can be it can have that overlap you know i don't think you have to shutter one out in order to have one be true yeah but and and from there i started through that research and through that low hitting rock bottom jamie lowe's work i found who wrote an amazing new york times uh op-ed kind of i don't know exactly what it is but an, an article about having to go off lithium because her kidneys were failing and so she went to bolivia to the salt flats to visit the birthplace of the medication and to kind of have her reckoning and her home going, you know, uh, and it's incredible. I mean, the photographs and, and the title of it, someone messaged me because they knew I was starting to write about lithium. They said, the title of it is, I don't believe in God, but I believe in lithium. Wow. And to have that in the New York Times, you know, as the title, I remember reading it fully on a bus ride from my parents' house to New York start to finish probably a couple times and like tears in my eyes and the photographs of, of I don't know if you've seen the salt flats but they're like it's unreasonable it's just so stunning and to hear her be so explicit she's so explicit and unashamed like she's had conversations where she's just like I thought I was Eminem or like I don't remember what rapper she thought she was but like in her delusions and I had sort of kept my delusions and my psychosis to the side because it's deeply embarrassing. Mm. Um, nobody even wants to admit what they said when they were drunk, let alone what you fully did for two weeks or a month or thought for two weeks or a month. And so to hear her, it was so permissive. And it was also like, oh, I'm not the one person who's had this. And that just branched out. I read K. Redfield Jameson for the first time. And it just started spider webbing and acceptance, I feel like it can seem like a catch-all word, but it actually was like this spider web of just multifaceted acceptance that I was, you know, welcoming and not prepared for in some ways because it was so profound. And seems yeah. essential. Essential. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you're talking, you're making me think that uh, ecstatic experiences I've read about and maybe even have had that I've perceived or are told as these spiritual escapades mm -hmm. are also maybe episodes of mania or something like mm -hmm. that too mm -hmm. which is you know interesting yeah um you, you said that 
day to day you're making these choices. What, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like for you now? Um, well, medication is non-negotiable for me. It's, I found something that works for me. It has like zero side effects and I potentially could take it for the rest of my life. So I, first of all, I'm in a point of privilege where really like you're going to mess with that. Some people I know who have bipolar have tried every single thing and they're suffering so intensely. And that included my grandmother who never settled on something that helped her, just helped her lead a full life. Um, and so for me, it used to be sometimes I'd be too sleepy. I'll take it in the morning. I kind of was just like a little lazy about it or lax. And I just have like a golden rule now. Regiment. Yeah, yeah. regiment. And, and for me also, this is a really hard one. Really, really hard one. But sleep. I am bought like a Fitbit to wear on my wrist so I know how many hours of sleep I'm getting. Sleep and bipolar have this very tenuous relationship when I am manic I don't sleep for three or four days and as you know that's a form of torture where they literally make people like they withhold sleep and then they can get information from them it's it's totally mind-altering and terrible and I have to and there's also a relationship obviously between sleep and mood so I have to be super aware did I get six hours and just that awareness from did I get eight hours just that awareness helps me yeah um, and do you do you prepare for sleep differently now? I'm, or? I'm te- I have to be honest, like I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Like I've had times in my 13 years of having the illness where cup of tea, light a candle, go to bed, 11. And the last like eight years of living in New York on the corner of Flatbush, it's like I just, <laughs> right. I, mean, I have a sound helping. machine my right. brother gifted me. I have earplugs. I have, but I, I like to watch you know, Terrace House. I don't know if you've been... What, know, what oh, is it's it? a it's, phenomenal uh, show ter- taking place in Tokyo. It's oh. a reality t- television Terrace program. Terrace House. Terrace House. You'll okay. enjoy it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for that gift. It's reality TV, but then they comment on it, much like the real world, but then they have comedians just talk about it. It's the best. Okay. So I'll watch that till one in the morning. Right. And so there's the, you know, ideally sleep is something that I'm piece by piece striving for, as I think like anyone, lots of people are, whether or not you have a diagnosis or not. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the diagnosis, it's really, it's a lot of like healthy things for anyone. It's like making sure I have boundaries with people as opposed to being kind of like porous and available all the time, which that's who that Shira was at age 22. Mm. It's about um, drawing lines in the sand too, of being like, just kind of knowing like this is what I can do this is what I can't do and again that's difficult I know you know because you're literally like you're in 17 places at once I hardly believe you're here like in one you know (laughs) atomic (laughs) collection um so that's been like something I'm working on um being vocal having a therapist I happen to be someone uh, I was really lucky to have a teacher a meditation teacher once tell me like like you like to work things out by talking and that's not a problem because I was kind of embarrassed about it. I felt like I should be stoic and sitting and not have to... But I'm verbal. And Very. that's how I, yeah. you know, work out things. So knowing that and then using that. That means therapist, but it also means like sharing and not compounding on myself. Um, utilizing friendships. Like, I, I don't know if I really did fully before. Like, I did, but I contain a lot. As, as some of us do, we like keep it to the chest. Um so those are some things. And then I think just living in the city is really different. Because I, when I was healing around 25, which was a major, major uh, relapse that caused me to rethink my family dynamic. It caused me to rethink... Um, I had also got down on meds at that point. But it, it was something that really called up life stuff, not just health stuff. And I went to Northampton to heal there. And I had 
a lot of time and space and quiet and the city does not give a shit it doesn't care if you want sleep it's it doesn't care yeah. it's relentless and so for me it means um there have been times where even in being so healthy and functional i don't feel good i feel too like anyone um too called upon too available doing too many things so for me it's been adjustment of especially in the last year like with behold and with this book um i had so much i was working on at the same time and i started to feel like oh my god i love what i'm doing but when i get home at night i feel at zero like i don't feel at two i don't feel at 20 i feel at zero so that's taken some i think of it as like a spiritual question of how do i live my day how do i live my moment and that's i've adjusted things yeah because you don't want to be depleted yeah i want to be available and i don't want to feel um i don't want to miss my life i don't want to be doing so much that i miss my the joys that are actually happening and the even the struggles that are actually happening i mean since since i've known you you've been very productive so where does the time and the rigor come into making into giving yourself the space to make i feel uh, it's like gonna make me tear up a little but i feel really lucky that making is so fun for me and that it is even when it's difficult it's like it's just the way i am like i love to create and i don't really care what the form is like i'll stick with a form to have some commitment Um, and some hopefully like a little bit of masterfulness in it, like to be able to go closer to that rather. Um, And so like, for example, I haven't really made music in the last two years and I feel very much that that has to do with like the space in my crib. Like I don't have a physical place Mm -hmm. to make music and so it falls away. Um, But I will write a full poem while while at work, while like ringing up, you know, at the bookstore or right, whatever like I will yeah. just suddenly have a poem and, and need to move that out that doesn't there's no room that I need for that to happen and that has to do with a lifetime of flexible making mm-hmm. I was always friends with people who were like let's make t-shirts today let's like you draw on them and I'll sew something on them and I remember my friend Ethan and I he had this company applique for like 10 years we sewed like a race car Velcro, Like, you could essentially take the race car off the shirt, and it was attached to a string, and you could, like, play with it on the table, and then you could, like... And that was an afternoon, and it was no big deal, you know, even though it's awesome. (laughs) And that was just, like, whatever. And so I think the impulse to create and to make something fresh and to have fun, um, it doesn't... That's what I'm saying about, like, what a pleasure to have a book... To have an object that's like, this is all my time and effort and questions in this thing, like that is very meaningful for me. Um, so this is like kind of like a, a side answer. And I think like if Angel were here, like if my partner were here, she'd be like, come on, like say the real answer. And the real answer is that when it comes time and I'm working on a project, I will schedule it. I will have a calendar, I will have hours, I will have rewards, I will have, I remember I was doing a residency at Air Serenby in Georgia to finish Odes Lithium, and the, the director came in to see how I was doing, and he pointed to my calendar and was like, what is that, like, you, he didn't even, the art was cool, it was fine, it was like hanging all over the place, I was doing paintings, I was like, you know, all these sketches that are in the book, 
were all over the wall but he was like what is that calendar and I had like a dot system it was like red dot green dot like literal stickers for what I had worked on and it just looks it looks absurdly or it looks like a architect or like some mathematician which I am not that's not my skill set <laughs> um, but for me I guess what you could say is the rigor or the, the I like boundaries and I like assignments and I like structure if I don't have that, it's fine. I'll make things anyway. On the, you know, I've written a song in the last two years or a couple, but it doesn't have the same momentum or the same. It's like everything's going to take me away from my art, like TV and food and hanging out. So having that kind of plan is so helpful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What What are the rewards you give yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Lately, it's been like all rewards, no work. So I'm just like, that's funny. I'm winning. They're not a reward. It's just like <laughs> laziness or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, like Angel is so good at celebrating. Yeah. That now I just am celebrating. Yeah. Like everything's a celebration. Everything. I'm like, I'm buying those earrings. I'm. It's just very like, you know, yeah, lusty. I'm like, I'm doing it. Um, but in other circumstances, it will be like it's as simple as like I put in this time or like the reward is a part of the work there's there's different kinds there's watching British baking show with cookies at the end of the day and that is like a true reward it's like bliss yeah but then there is um a, like when I was working on Ode Still Theme and I was at the residency I kept um at Air Serenby I kept a journal that was every day I would pull a card at the beginning of my writing session I know you're into ritual too and it was a card from like a deck of Charlie Chaplin cards that Angel had found at in Brookline there's this tiny 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 general store that has been there forever that used to think me and my friends were stealing all the time just like 6th graders coming in to look at shit and they'd be like get out but they're amazing and they have like just stuff you would never believe I have no idea how they're in business but she found a Charlie Chaplin deck there And so I pull a card and then I look up the equivalent of tarot of like what it is. And then I lay that out for my day. And that feels like a reward. That feels like super fun. And then I have this sort of non-confirmed, which I think spiritual is another word for me of non-confirmed faith or non-confirmed like almost guiding principle yeah 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 that's great yeah yeah and so then i can use that throughout my day so i I remember pulling the same card four times on very like on days where i was visiting a school to talk or on days where i was performing it was like the same card and that type of like blustery fun um sort of like john cage like this like element you can't control Mm. that you just have in there it makes the other stuff less Annoying or less cloying, like you have to be good at it. It has to, you have to finish your poem today. Instead, it adds that element of collaboration with the unknown into the mix, you know. That's so that's a type of. And then I also was just looking at everything I was doing. Like I had my amp and my guitar. And I would just like play for two hours a day, and then I would paint. It was like a very fluid time. And when I would go out to walk along these like muddy red like deep red orange Georgia kind of paths just to go to the general store to pick up like a popsicle I would just like on Instagram shoot these photos of the mud and it would feel intoxicating like the color I was just tweeting about color today but that kind of like to me that is a reward if you're actively drenched in your work and in the kind of conspiracy of unknowable things that will enter it that's like, 
you know, we love to work. You love to work too. It's you wouldn't do it if it was just painful right. <laughs> or vigorous. Or maybe you yeah. would. I don't know. I have friends that are like every step of writing is painful, and I don't feel that, no, way. I don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are a great. Uh, you're great on social media, by the way. <laughs> um, we'll we'll give it out at the end. But but what yeah. is it? Just as it's, people are. Yeah, S H E E R. So it's sheer and then underscore awe. A W E. So um, sheer awe. On the gram as well. Same. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, so the twenty-two, the the pre-twenty-two, yes, you yes. also a writer? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So, um, how did you, you know, get that? When did you pick that up? The writing? Yeah. Like ever? Yeah. Like in my life? Yeah. So I immigrated when I was six from Israel to the U.S. and. I can remember learning language, which to me, maybe I was always a writer because I think of this, but I remember learning language and seeing it as like a real utility as well as a beauty because it literally, I would have to say like, where is the bathroom? And that was like a phrase I had learned and it gave me access to this whole, you know, to the bathroom. (laughs) It's a big thing when you're seven, you're like, don't know anybody. (laughs) Right now, currently. Actually. Uh, (laughs) Um, so I remember, like, and I went through ESL, and, and just words were kind of lighting up. My brain was just like, yum, 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 because it's different than learning it as, like, a two-year-old or three-year-old. It's like you're learning it when it's kind of, it's a different time to learn it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. six and seven is a little different. And I remember around eighth, when I was eight, they pulled, they did this all the time, which I now, I don't know how I feel about it, but they pulled kids out of classes to be in, like, gifted and talented stuff um, did they do that in your school? Well, they didn't never do that with me. Um, oh, I will say that. Uh, I think, yeah, I had I had some people I knew oh. allegedly who got pulled, but no, I stayed in the, um, the regular acts. Yeah, just like, uh, fam, like oh, I hope God. you figure it out. They they pulled me okay. often for those things, which made no sense to me in some regard because I was not a likable student. Usually, teachers did not like me until about fifth grade. I had like a tremendous teacher that just blew my world up, and I was like, oh my God, we can. I can look up to you. You can, like, be kind to me. This is amazing. And so when they pulled me out, they would pull me often for the writing stuff. Um, and I remember there was, in third grade, there was, they pulled me for this poetry one. There was a yellow, like, trash can that was tiny, like one of those, like, plastic yellow trash cans. And they put all these words inside it. And I vividly remember pulling out magenta the word magenta, and they said, now you can make the word magenta into whatever you want. So it could be magenta, it could be magenting, it could be magentas. And like, for someone who just learned English and learned the rules of English, poetry was like, secret society, we're pulling you out of this room to teach you magenta. You can do whatever the F you want to magenta. So it was like a rule-breaking place. And in third grade, I wrote up a poem, probably around that same time, um, for a spelling. Have I told you this story? I don't think so. I was put in a spelling group. It was, like, lower than probably where I should have been. And I often think about, like, immigrant kids and my teacher kind of being like, well, you know, she's just learning the language. Um, Whereas there's people who have learned English as a second language who use it better than folks who, (laughs) you know, have it as their first. So, So she put me in that group, and the assignment was to take these spelling words and write a... Uh, poem from the spelling words so it was words like may june july august like all these i remember just like just random words that she had put in and i wrote a poem for my grandmother for beatrice and it was like august bloomed in her eyes may rained in her mouth it was like this poem yeah you know like a poem like for really real and my mom was like what the f 
is this? This is amazing. And talked to my teacher and was like, I think you have her in the wrong group. And so that moment, I think, shifted for me. Um, I felt like un- unseen by that teacher and really seen by my mom and like advocated for by my mom, which is a theme. Um, and that just, I remember from there, my mom always put books, books, books in my hand. Like in the moment, I don't think I even realized how many books she was just like peddling to me. And she would always sign inside the cover like, Dear Shira, today is your blah, 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 blah. This is a book about blah, blah, blah. And I, I thought everyone did that when they gave books. I thought everybody like signed the inside with like a long letter or whatever, which is not the case. No. Um, and so I remember like from there, I had like a journal and I would write poems in it as like an eight-year-old. And I was obsessed with like Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and like all these people who I saw giving speeches or having these ideologies that words helped convey to other people like how important this ideology was and I <laughs> this journal I found from third grade it's like flower ass journal and you open it and it's like you know like save the world I'm a genius Martin Luther King Jr. and then it's like remember love like Shira Ehrlichman I like wrote my name underneath <laughs> like she said this you know right so uh, I was, I was like King, Shira. Shira yeah it's right Eighth there <laughs> so you know if you're at tearaway calendars you can have that inspirational quote Listen. and I just like look at that and I'm like there's an audacity and a pureness to it of like, yeah, I have something to say. I got something to say. <laughs> Who knows what it is at eight, but like me and MLK, we got something. <laughs> and then also there's like a, a pureness of like, we, you know, what you and I believe, which is, I see it all the time in your work, which is like, let anyone write a poem. Let anyone write a poem. And I probably like, I might like it. I might like what this kid has to say, you know, like you don't need to be. Billy Collins or whatever. Please, please don't, don't be. be. In fact, yeah. um. I'd, I'd much prefer the poem. Me myself. There we go. So that, and then you know, I got as I got older. I was always writing, always writing, always writing. Like in my own journals, I kept like very kept journals forever until I fell in love with a girl sophomore year. Then I was like, screw journals. Yeah. I got a girl. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why do you think I was why doing all this my- for? <laughs> This to was get in touch training. with my emotions, yes. Hey. Spit this game real quick. Exactly. It literally stopped. I was like, dear diary, Mary likes me. And then it was just, whoo, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. But the slam scene, enter the slam scene. Right mm. around my senior year, watching slam. Of high school? Yes. Okay. Watching slam nation. No, not nation. Slam. The one with Saul Williams. Yes. Yeah. I went to the Cantab Lounge. Right. Because you are in... <sighs> around Boston. Exactly. Yeah. Brookline, outside of Boston. Yep. Patricia Smith started the Cantab with her then husband. And I remember I walked into the space. It was just like a movie. I mean, it was like packed to the gills. I was in the back, back, back against the wall. There was this woman on the stage and at the time they had what they called the third rail which was like, uh, I think it was like a train thing that keeps you safe from the train around the stage. It was very edgy. They took it down. They're like, no, no, no. This is corny. <laughs> but at the time it was there and she was behind it just like you know Patricia no 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 no, no. Oh, okay. just some lady okay, 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 oh yeah, no 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 I wasn't ready for Patricia <laughs> yet <laughs> I would have been but I remember like I was in the back of the room against the wall all this energy and I had already been in bands I was mostly playing music and seeing that I my first thought much like eight-year-old Shira next time okay I was like oh I could definitely do this you know and then I got kind of swept into that world so your mom, it sounds, she was uh, a lifelong encourager. 
right? Of, yeah. of your creative oh, yeah. process. Both and, my parents for the creative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know you're, you're close Papa. with both. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. With both your folks. <laughs> you, you have a very supportive creative community now that you are, uh, in, you know, integral part of who, who is in your crew or extended crew now? Like, who are the people that you go to, to, um, you know, not only get critique, but just encouragement, chop mm. it up with, like, who, who, who are your people? I think, um, you know, Angel's my first reader, Angel Nafis. She's my partner of, like, eight and a half years, and I had read her poems beforehand, like, a little bit, um, or knew who she was through various other people in the scene. And she's such a good reader. She you is. Know, she, like, of work. Like, she can tell you about your work, and you're like, Exactly. Wow, and, like, I want to say... In some ways, she's my most consistent, I, I, I kind of want to say only reader, but that's not true. Like, you've read my poems, and other people have read my poems. Yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, you got a book edited, of it. No, I know, I know, I know. Edited. Um, but she, I just trust her, and I think it's different to have readers who understand your vision as opposed to someone who's looking at a poem. Like, I've been really lucky and privileged to be a reader for so many amazing students and people that trust me. And so often I'm trying to look at the poem in the wider context. I actually, I think you do that a lot um, as a teacher is to say like, this work is like one tooth in the mouth, you know, it's not mm. the whole thing. It's a weird image, but, <laughs> um, and so Ainge gets the whole, like she knows about a manuscript I have that I've been working on for, or it's been kind of in my pocket for 13 years now, mm -hmm. I want to say. Is that right? No, that can't be right. Yeah, like, uh, like 12 years. And she will understand how this book that just came out before it, you know, was written after it, but came out before it, how it resonates with that. So there's kind of this holding of the whole artist which, as you've kind of shown, I really in particular need because there's so much going on. Sure. Um, and so she can help me cull and, you know, yeah, just look at it as not just in her amazing, um, tiny, microscopic ways. She just has a reading that's capable of being a little bit more vast. Um, and then my friend and the poet and playwright April Ranger, I think is just like just like has an ear for <sighs> it's like when you think of like what a poem is kind of in like a very standard way like what a poem should make you feel what it should make you do she has like a musical understanding of it and mm. she can go on she can probably walk five blocks and by the end arrive at the poem and it will be it'll just be so um uh, what's that called when you're like uncovering but you're a person who digs in the dirt what is that called like a, um, a archaeologist she has yeah. that kind of focus yeah. and her poems to me they're like they're human they're like bottom line human and so she I don't I don't know if she's looked at particular poems of mine but I feel like my poems are thinking in conversation <laughs> with her we've definitely been in conversation yeah um it's yeah. I I realize I'm kind of stingy. Like I haven't shown my work to a lot of people besides Angel. Yeah. And I really think like even if I was not her partner, like I really do think Angel is like one of the best writers and readers that are exist today. Yeah. It's like a little shocking. Facts. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it feels like a deep dive as opposed to like spreading it around yeah. through a community. But I feel like um, Morgan Parker has understood my work and my, especially Odes, like Odes to Lithium. She, you know, we met early on and talked about them before they were anywhere close to where they are now. And she just, sometimes all you need is a little confidence, like a little whisper. It doesn't need to be someone like tearing apart your work and looking at it. And she gave me that little like, yeah, I see you. This is, this is it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's notes like that that are forever encouraging yeah to push you forward and to let you know you're on the right path and, exactly you know it's just to be seen right i mean it if is. it's by one or a small crew i mean that's all you need right? that's it's it just, yeah. that's it and i'm lucky i mean i could name probably like 25 people who i feel equally seen right. by that are in our community like just so so seen by yeah um yeah um so Odes is in the world, mm-hmm. and it's it's a long haul mm-hmm. uh, to to have a book in the world. Um, people should go get this book. It's uh, it's. I, I think the other thing is that the book aesthetically is permissive to any imagination, to every imagination, because you are in so many different places. And mm-hmm. I think just as a book that is um, challenging voice and incorporating voices and form and incorporating multiple forms and you know it's it's just a a really exciting project Mm. um do you go on the road i know your book release is is upcoming Mm -hmm. um but what yeah what is your plan kind of with this book yeah so um the release is on october 4th at ace hotel with amazing folks, Morgan, who I just mentioned, Nez Smith, Angel, who I just mentioned, and Ashley Ford is hosting. Um, and then from there, it's almost two months of tour. So it'll be all over the country, and the schedule is up. It's on my Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's also on my website, which is officialshira.com. Um, and I think I'm performing or reading or sharing like almost every other night with like a little bit of a break in the middle. Um, yeah, I just want to read it to everybody. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm excited for you to do that. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being in the corner store. It, it, one more time, yeah. your socials. Of course. At, and then it's sheer, S-H-E-E-R underscore, A-W-E. That's them. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com, corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.